Well, hello and a very warm welcome back to the Reenactors Ramble podcast after our eight week long hiatus. And I know, I know, where have we been? Uh, what have we been doing? Uh, why haven't we been recording? Well, we just had a bit of a, a recharge uh, of our batteries or my batteries, I guess, really, uh, after a pretty crazy month or two um, with events and, and just everyday life um, in general. Um, the reality of it is ultimately living history and, and reenacting uh, is, is a hobby and the podcast is an extension of this, which I do try my very, very best to cram into everyday life. But uh, of course, it's not uh, always, always possible. But uh, apologies for that. Uh, I hope you're still with us and you're ready for more action uh, because we certainly are. Um, and today I am joined by uh, founder of Normandy 44 and good friend, uh, Dale Davidson. And today's episode is all very much a recap of our long-awaited pilgrimage to Oosterbeek and Arnhem. Um, so, you know, our thoughts as first-time visitors, we're going to have a quick run-through of the sights and feelings experienced uh, during the trip and just the uh, the run-up to it as well. So, Dale, thanks for joining me this evening. How are you I'm doing? I'm doing pretty well, considering I've got COVID. Um, <laughs> but, hey-ho, not much I can do about that. Like, but, uh, I was due to get two and a half years, kind of dodged that bullet forever. Nope, nope. Well, thankfully, I've uh, I've avoided it thus far, uh, so hopefully that will uh, that will continue. <laughs> so without further ado um it's it's probably prudent i guess still to start with the uh the, the run-up to to Arnhem for, for this i mean I'm, I'm sure that all of the listeners are uh probably fed up of, of hearing about it for now but you know this is our last hurrah on the subject really um but for us it was it was over two years in the waiting um so a lot of an- anticipation we'd spent a lot of time trying to make sure that we had our kit right. Obviously, we can't take weapons over into the Netherlands. very, very difficult. So we wanted to have everything the best that we, we possibly could. Um, so, you know, we spent a long time getting the, the Pegasus uh, military smocks by Steve Kiddle, which was very, very, very pleased to have. And we had a bit of a, I guess, a, a pre-run out, really, would you say, down at a, a Beamish, just a few miles away? Yeah, Beamish was, um, it was good, but at the same time, it was quite close, wasn't it? Ten days mm. between Beamish and, um, and it was a camping event to add to the, mm-hmm. uh, the Joys. Um, but it was good to get the kit on, just because obviously we've not done an awful lot um, in the last year. We've not, <laughs> we've not done much in the last three years, to be honest with you. But it was nice to get the uh, get the kit back on again, get used to it, um, mm-hmm. yeah, check the jeep yeah. out, because obviously we turned that turned out to be quite critical, didn't it? It did, yeah, it did, and you know, I, I ummed and ahed whether to, uh, to to get into the the subject of, of vehicles and whatnot because, uh, but then I thought, you know, let's. This podcast has always been very much warts and all, and um, you know, we've never really filtered anything as such. So yeah, Beamish was was very much. It's a, and for anyone that doesn't know Beamish, it's a living history museum. Um, so they've got separate little villages. They've got a nineteen fifties village and a Victorian village and all that sort of stuff. So some amazing uh, for opportunities. Not the best standard of, of reenactor, uh, it has to be said, but just some amazing opportunities to drive around the site. Um, so there we are. What two day two days in? We've we've got some great pictures around the site. We've done some little sort of street scenes trying to, I guess, mimic I guess some of the scenes within Arnhem itself and uh, and used to be. Um, and I've run the third day and I'm, you know, having, a, I'm thinking, right, I'll leave the Jeep, have a bit of a rest now. It's working fine. Let's leave it to Larnham. And I think, uh, and one of the guys who has a Jeep there as well says, let's, let's go for a, you know, quick driver on the site. So we think, okay, then I get to the top of the, uh, the bank where we are and, and hear this sort of ticking sound and, and, oh God, and, and you know, I won't go into to everything, but in essence, the, uh, I needed it. My head gasket went on the Jeep, which is, you know, on, on a modern day car 
pretty much the end of your vehicle to a degree. Um, but with a with a Jeep, there's obviously the, the possibility of repairing it, but not ideal when you only have, uh, I think it was f- five days? Was it, oh, very um, five. Well, I did these before the... Um... You didn't get it fixed right away, did you? There was a bit of delay, a bit of we lag, had, and the guy's fixing it. Yeah, we had about five or six days, and you know, I have a full time job and not a mechanical expert by you know uh, by any stretch of the imagination. So, yeah, I had to get that that booked in, and um, you know, got that booked in with the local garage who had to take the head off, and then we had to get it skimmed, and uh, you know, and then once the head was on, the starter motor broke, so I had to buy a new starter motor, get my old one reconditioned just in case, and it was very much a case of having to to cover everything that it could possibly be. Um, you know, and I'm not af- afraid to admit that it, it costs a small fortune. And, um, you know, I think it's it's one of those moments sometimes, I think, where it's it's important sometimes to mention, like, how stressful this hobby can be, as great as it can be. You know, at that moment in time, we'd already spent a, a lot of money, you know, on, on that trip. We wanted to experience it in the best way possible. Um, and then to stick another £1,000 on top of that um, just to get your vehicle actually there was 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 quite a bit of pill to swallow should we say you know um and it was it was really stressful in, enough without any of that sort of stuff when you've got a trailer to prep and cars and pack your own stuff and you know for a moment you just feel like not going at all as well so you know i think it's important just for anybody out there as well who sometimes has those moments not necessarily just vehicles you know uniforms whatever it might be um you know just to acknowledge that sometimes it is really 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 tough and you you sometimes got to draw a line between what's feasible and doable and you know we were probably bordering on that line of you know is it really worth spending a thousand pounds to get something there but it was it was it was worth every penny but alas anyway so we got it fixed and we uh and we, we headed off on the um on the friday uh for the ferry from newcastle uh which is overnight to to Oosterbeek. um you know met we, we were wondering if we we're going to see anybody there we met some people at the uh the ferry stop who were uh who were going over there and have, have jumped in many times so that very much got our got our excitement going um but yeah let's let's jump into day one so so you know we arrive at the ferry um in uh i can't remember it's actually called but amsterdam is, is pretty much where we landed and it's, it's only a short drive really isn't it probably about 45 minutes to an hour it wasn't it didn't it feel i didn't feel too bad to drive up um although you've got to keep your wits about you on these roads if you if you're not used to it you know there's that many turnoffs it's like oh is this this turnoff is this <laughs> no no straight on straight on is it this turnoff not straight on straight on um yeah, i'm glad a, you were like, driving and navigating yeah, very different to driving in um, in England, especially with a with a trailer on the back. So, so we get there and, and unload, unload the jeep. Um, we stayed in a lovely hotel uh, in the centre of Oosterbeek, and you know I think it was a great location to stay in. Um, Brilliant, who and 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 the safety for the v- the vehicle as well, which is you couldn't ask for a better um, location and a better no, hotel. Absolutely. Absolutely brilliant. I think for anybody going over there, I would, I would thoroughly recommend staying in in Oosterbeck. No, you know, no, we didn't want anybody in our hotel. Hey, we haven't we haven't said the name of the hotel yet. Uh, no, it's the youth, that, youth hostel of Holland. <laughs> that is the one. Um, but yeah, you know, smack bang in the middle of everything, uh, and we'll come on to the location and the, the sort of geography of um, uh, of the area in a, in a little bit of time. Um, but you know, for us, it was like you know me you've got the vehicle off it was like let's let's go and get our bearings let's let's have a scoot around really and, and, and see what's about um you know that part we really have our kit squared away so it was smocks on and but the um it was just it was good it was the taking part though wasn't it you know yeah. and at that point it's it, it was amazing just turning off the motorway and um all of a sudden you see signs of sort of dealing airfield and you're, you're driving through the landing zones and, and wolf hairs and it's like holy shit we're so I've actually here, um, you know, you spent years and years and years reading books about some of these streets. And the funny thing is that you're driving through some of these spots and locations without, you know, even a slight bit of, of, uh, of 
I guess, knowing that that's where you are, really, and what happened in the streets that you are. And I think that's part of the magic of the location, really. Oh, definitely. Your face when we were over the John Frost Bridge the first time, <laughs> you look like a lunatic. But it was like all that um, stress with the vehicle and the driving and the transport mm. and the ferry and all that kind of stuff just seemed to lift as you were driving over that bridge. Yeah, it was. It was a complete physical, it was, yeah, release of adrenaline and, and like you say, stress when you've spent not just the money, but the time, the worry, um, you know, and trying to fit in everyday family life around that. And then to, yeah, have that vehicle there performing okay and, and, and driving over the bridge, as you say, it's it's just one of those pinch me sort of bucket list moments really where you think, Do you know what, I've, I've done that, you know, and that's, and, you know, it's almost like we should have saved that for the end of the trip, but we, I wanted to get out of the way with it at the start, just to be like, right, I've done that now. We can, anything else happens, we can, we can sort of go home happy now. So, you know, and what, what really struck me, I think immediately was, you know, we obviously we stayed in Oosterberg and we, we drove down to the bridge and that's always been like a really, you know, everyone says, you know, you listen to, to James Holland speak, um, the author about uh, Arnhem and, and uh, Operation Market Garden and you know he always says you must walk the ground you must walk the ground and I always thought well you know is it going to make much of a difference and blimey what a difference it makes when you go there and, and you you either walk or drive you know the various routes um, that you take so obviously we, we drove down there and it, it's good you know with traffic 10 minute drive and, and nobody's shooting at us there's no artillery no. There's, there's no tanks um and it's a good 10 minute drive down there really and it's quite built up obviously when you get into uh the city of Arnhem so you know we we drove over that bridge and uh, and decided to head back up to uh the the landing zones um really up there so we drove back up to Ginkle Heath uh, LZY uh, up the um up the leopard route um in reverse really um and drove past the uh, the plank and wambus and and um got up to that landing zone and I don't know about you but that drive from the John Frost bridge up to Ginkle Heath which is again is probably about a 15 minute drive um you know at jeeps pretty much sort of top speed or cruising speed really and that was a long old drive is that and the edarnham road was it it is that's the one up there yeah yeah and it's uh, you know i i mean i've looked at the maps for a long time like you have i looked at books and you know um aerial photographs but you cannot comprehend the size of these woods and landing zones from a book you literally, it's not till you're driving and you're looking going, how the hell could people defend these positions? Massive, massive, massive areas. We, you know, a thousand men or less. Well, yeah. in the respect of Kingsland Scottish borders. You know, I mean, obviously I've looked at the photographs, but when you're actually there and you're driving and you're more woods and more woods and more woods and more woods and more woods, you're thinking, Christ almighty, this is impossible to try and defend. Um, and I think it just really plants you... Um, in the moment, and obviously, you get a better understanding of the battlefield and all the things, all the complications that they encountered. Um, try to defend these areas when you're actually uh, in the place itself, looking around, thinking, "God, this is massive." Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I mean, my my immediate thoughts were sort of. Like you say, the impossible task, you often think seven miles on the bridge, okay, you know, it sounds a long way. As you say, you look on maps and you think, well, you know, was it was it really, really that far? And, and like say when you drive it at 40 odd mile an hour, it's it's it just feels impossible. You know, as soon as you're actually there, you, there is almost like no way that you can comprehend that at any point was was that going to be sort of successful. But at the same time as well, for such a, a vast area, I don't think personally that there is a battlefield in in World War Two, perhaps, or at least in in Northwest Europe, 
where there is so much history detailed and crammed into such a short space of time and, and such a, you know, I, I guess a small patch of, of land as well, really, because you, you're pretty much looking at a, what, a, a 50 square mile piece of land, really, if you think about the seven mile width, I guess, and probably, you know, maybe five miles, six miles uh, north to south, really, you know, down to the Rhine or the Nader Rhine. Um, so you're probably looking at 40 to 50 square miles, and it is incredible the level of detail that you have across every single one of those days. If you want to know where a company were, a battalion were, an individual was um, in any moment. I mean, the, the, the houses are littered with plaques. And if you get some of the, the incredible tool books that are out there and, and um, I guess war diaries and whatnot, it's, 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 it's probably one of the most well-documented battles that, you know, I guess I, I'm not sure the exact reasons for that, but you can just pretty much find out exactly who was where. And it's just insane that you've got all that sort of level of detail. And I, I think that's probably what drives people back over and over and over and over again. I think the, um, you're right there's so much going on and every anything is you can every street there's something happening practically but it's, it's all so well documented it's not like you know they sort of just went through an area yeah there's, there's, there's stories and diaries and uh you know accounts for almost every street every day and as you say you can tell you know literally where any particular you know company was or platoon was any given moment of the day you know from the landing to the um well, for those, those lucky enough to get back to the um, the other side of the Rhine, you know, um, mm. fascinating for me. Uh, but it's probably more, it, it's better than I thought it was. I mean, I, I always looked forward to it, and I thought it was going to be fantastic. But to be to be honest with you, I, it was even my um, expectations were were um, more than fulfilled. I thought it was fantastic mm-hmm. as a place. I think the people are fantastic, and I think the uh, the history is well documented. You can see everything. Well, most things still you can get to them. Um, and uh, you know, for me, it's one of my best ever trips. Yeah, I would agree. It's uh, what 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 fascinates me is from from day one and, and finding our feet and you know using a sat nav and driving around and, and driving through streets, not really understanding some of the connections between the. Uh, the reports that we'd read, the books that we'd read, uh, the maps that we'd we'd looked at for so long, you know, not really having that understanding. But by day five, you know, almost being able to to go down any street and sort of say that's where so and so was on this day, um, you know, it, it it's it's insane how much you can learn. Or I guess put the the education and the the knowledge that you've got into practice within within those those few short days. Really, um, it's really really amazing. But I have to mirror your comments as well, just about. Um, how it was better than I expected. It's, it's, I really hope that it would be everything that Normandy isn't. Um, and I think it, we were sort of proven right, really, in the fact that there's, there's one major museum, uh, in Arnhem at least, um, the, the Hartenstein Hotel, the Airborne Museum. Uh, and second to that, you've got the, uh, Glider Museum up at Wolf Hayes, which we didn't manage to get in because it's only open, what, every other weekend, I think. Um, and aside from that, you know, the museum are the streets. Um, they are the books that you read. Um, and what amazed me about it, you know, and obviously before we go into any of the details of, of where we went to, but everybody that we met who'd came across from Britain, um, you know, everybody was, they were walking the perimeter. They were, you know, they were exploring the streets. They weren't, put it this way, they weren't 
wearing 101st Airborne jackets with sirens and aviators and cigars and just wanting to, you know, have a bottle of wine and a piss up near near a site, you know, and without any or very little understanding of, of what went on. Everybody there had a real commitment to to understanding what those men went through. Um and of course the civilians who were who were also there. Um and it just the, the the level or the kind of person that you meet there is very different to the kind of person that I've met in Normandy. It was a strange, um, you know, it was quite quiet. Everyone's comment about how quiet it was, but there could have been obviously two reasons. One is obviously the, the death of the Queen, uh, God bless her soul, um, which obviously might have affected. I don't think it would have that would have affected people as much for turning up because obviously people had already turned up. I think people stayed, um, you know, maybe not as long as they would have done. What you're back for the funeral on the Monday, which is quite understandable. Um, and I think probably just the, the hangover with COVID made it quieter. But I think people are saying that potentially next year it'll be back to normal. But I don't know if I, if I would like that to be fair because <laughs> I really I quite enjoyed the fact that it wasn't absolutely rammed. Um, you know, and the, and the people were quite. You had time to talk to, just you know, people visiting the sites and other um, living history people, and um, you know, it was just I, I just I think we just got there the right. For us, the right time um, in this trip that we've been going on in this King's Own Scottish border um, to arrive there, and it wasn't that busy. We got a good chance to look around. There was no pressure. There was not. There was no other distractions apart from what we wanted to do um, and making sure we ticked all the boxes. We wanted to go and you know mm-hmm. check. Yeah. What What surprised me was um, for some reason in my head, I had it. I had the idea that you know that. The celebrations would almost start on the seventeenth and would continue for the seven, eight, nine days that the the battle took place. Um, because I guess when you go to Normandy, once the sixth of June is out the way, with it, you know, it becomes a ghost town. And it was very, very similar here. Um, it obviously seems like the run up to uh, the the first drops really um, are other time is the time to be there really, and not necessarily the days after, which I found really surprising given you know given the, the days after the second and third lifts. Um, and obviously the the retreat, the perimeter. Obviously, there's a couple of events and ceremonies that go on, but the vast majority of it's in the days before, which was quite surprising. So I guess yeah. you know another little tip for anybody who is potentially going over there. Um, you know, I think getting there at least two three days before the 17th, so you know heading over on the 13th, 14th is is probably um, better than getting over there sort of the 15th, 16th. No, definitely. Because the problem is that I mean I. I liked when we went. I think the fact that most people had sort of disappeared on the Sunday didn't really bother me, but to be fair. Um, and probably our one of our best days of exploring was, which you'll get to that probably shortly, was the Monday. Mm-hmm. You know, we yeah, found a ridiculous yeah, amount of stuff in the Monday, but obviously we'll, we'll get to that in a minute. Of course, I mean, you know, after day one, we've we've been down um, very much quick recce, really, in, in in the jeep as such, which is you know a bucket list in itself, isn't it? You know, driving through Wolf Hayes and stopping for for lunch, um, seeing other jeeps driving around. I mean, that in itself, I could have gone home happy, really. Um, after that, not knowing too much more, um, you know. But the evening, getting back to the hotel, um, and and going down to the Schoonard, for which for anybody that doesn't know is is now a restaurant and bar, um, in the centre of Oosterbeck. Uh, which was a, a first aid post, a field hospital. Um, it used to be a hotel, uh, and that was a, a field hospital. One of a number of field hospitals that was set up um, in Oosterbeck during the, the eight to nine days that the battle took place as well. Um, and it's obviously inside, it doesn't resemble 
much of the same, but some amazing pictures on the wall of uh, of, of outside uh, of the uh, the Hotel Schoonard as well, which is now the restaurant. Uh, and it was great just to be sat in there and uh, looking outside and, you know, there's, there's Jeeps flying past. It, it's dark at 8, 9 p.m. There's loads of Jeeps flying past. Obviously, there's people in kit wandering around. Uh, and you're in this place of history as well, just um, having a good drink. And that, that's always one of the, the amazing parts, isn't it? Just reflecting on the day that you've had really and sat there in kit. It was a really nice way to spend the first evening. I'd heard so much about the schoonard. Everyone who's been there is like, oh, schoonard, this schoonard, that. So it was quite good to go there and go, oh, right. So this is what they're talking about. Um, and it was it was the, um, yeah, it was nice. That was a nice end to the first day. Mm-hmm. Quite quiet. I mean, I think the way it's only been described to me is if anybody's been to Normandy, that will probably be able to, to relate to this, is the, the stop bar in St. Mary Glees, which I guess is the sort of the, the mecca of of, of so you know people's uh, social routines really on an evening in in Normandy for anybody that's that's uh, staying within the US sector um but it was fairly quiet like you say and i think you know down to covid it got busier the, the couple of days after but certainly a little bit little bit quieter than i thought um but then moving into into day 2 uh was the first day for us in in kit uh, which i was sort of really looking forward to and getting getting stuck in uh, after seeing everybody else doing the same over the, the previous days really um and just obviously getting a chance to wear the smocks and all the kit that we'd we'd worked so hard on over the, the last couple of years. So we had a we were joined by uh, our two cohorts, uh, Ricky and Gillian, and we had a little little drive down through Wolf Hayes down to LZZ, uh, LZZ sorry, and uh, had breakfast down there and um, watched one of the jumps as well. Uh, which shortly after, I do believe one of the paratroopers uh, landed down on a house just <laughs> just down there as well, which was fairly unfortunate. Um, and then obviously we got to drive through the culvert as well, um, which was I don't know about you was was totally sort of I think after the bridge was top of my bucket list. The um, <clears throat> one thing I was going to say is probably I was quite disappointed in was the amount of American stuff that was at the, uh, the cafe, you know, at our breakfast. Mm. And it wasn't even yeah. decent World War Two American stuff. It was, oh, it was like some kind of Missouri militia. It's just like there was. Mm modern american tents like all sorts of mishmash they were playing country and western music i just thought what i think i couldn't get my head ruined what the thinking was i mean you know there's nothing relevant i mean it wasn't even world war ii american um loads of dodge weapons carriers and gmc gmc's trucks and all sorts of stuff a lot of post-war stuff as well just again yeah they were having a cookout and Listening to John Denver, it's just not really my idea. Yeah, it's a little bit odd, isn't it? I mean, I think in your head you've you've got this whole idea that it's it's going to be sort of British airborne everywhere, and like you say, there's, a, there's in some areas there's a lot of American camps, and it's yeah, it's it's quite strange. Certainly not something that I would do. Um, but I mean, having said that, you know, would what not, not it's not regret, but certainly something that I look back on as being a bit odd. You know, us being KOSB in in. In Normandy, I'm going to feel a lot better going over there in in two years' time with a unit that actually landed there and was there. Mm-hmm. So you know, not not too dissimilar to that in a way, but um, but yeah, I mean, the, the culvert, what a what an experience that was. Obviously, we'd heard from oh. a lot of people that the culvert was closed, and for anybody listening who's who's not sure what the culvert is, so um, a lot of the fighting, um, you know, probably between the third and the fifth day, I would probably say um, that took place. Um, Took place very much around the Johanna Hov area, uh, down to Wolf Hayes, down there. Um, after the first couple of days of dr- defending the drop zones, and I guess a lot of the communications in um, in trying to get uh, evacuating a lot of the troops down to the field hospitals. Um, the you know the, the 
the Germans had set up a blocking line uh, and the route into Arnhem, so there was there was no way down to the hospital through that way. Um, and I guess the railroad cross it, crossing at Wolf Hayes was um, was also seen a fighting as well. So one of the, the the easiest and best ways to get through was this. You know, it, it's a very small archway uh, just under the the main railway lines just there, um, which was frequented by recce jeeps, uh, a lot of other jeeps um, down there passing on messages, comms. Um, we say evacuating troops down. And it's it's very small. I mean, you've probably seen it on combat dealers of Bruce Crompton or in various other books because um, it's it's about the width of a jeep, right? Um, and you, if you duck down a little bit, although it wasn't as tight as I thought going well, through that tunnel. Given that I'm six feet two, I mean, I had to crouch slightly, but, um, you know, I, I mean, it's probably, how high would you see with that as a boot? Is it, it must be under six foot, is it? Oh, there's no, there's no. In the jeep, you're thinking, we're not going to get through there. You couldn't walk. You couldn't walk suddenly, through it. Though, could you? Suddenly you're like, oh, all right, okay. Yeah, you definitely couldn't walk through it. Um, I, I would say it's probably about five feet, maybe less. Oh, it's not very tall, like, is it? No, not at all, not at all. But I mean, you know, going going through there, you get a real sense of just. I mean, it's it's it, you know, we talk about living history. I mean, Christ, you know, what what more can you do when you you know you've hopefully got your vehicle, you know, close. I mean, there's a few things I definitely could work on on the vehicle, but you, you know, your kit's there. You've got helmets on. It is pure, pure living history. I mean, you, you can't climb Point de Hoc in Normandy. You can't storm a beach from a landing craft. Um, you know, you can, to a degree, jump out of a C-47, but <coughs> next best thing to do in Arnhem, really, is is drive through the culvert um, or down to the bridge via one of the, the routes that they would have took. I tell you, we didn't want that- to drive through that in, in the dark, would you? No, I mean to, to be honest, with you, my lights were covered up, so we didn't have lights on in the tunnel, and that was that was difficult enough. Um, but you know, from from there, really, we also took the route down that they would have took um, down Johannahove, which is a, a sort of a path which which follows the railroad, which is quite bumpy, doing a bit of off roading down there as well, uh, dodging some of the trees that had that had fell down. Um, and you come out down there just just not far from the White House, um, and through again some of the the scenes of fierce fighting um, as the uh, the perimeter was was set up in those days. Um, and you go, you're walking past the four para uh, foxholes, and you know ev- everywhere you look and turn, there's just you know not necessarily the scars of war, but the stories of war are, are, are around you there. So you know driving through that culvert and driving down Johannahove down towards there, it's just like I said, it's 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 true living history. And then it's almost spying when you go back and read. You know, I was looking at. Um, Dive of Red Devil and reading some of the passages out of there, and you're reading uh, short clips where you know you've literally followed in their footsteps. I mean, the guy in that book for me was from my hometown, driving a KOSB jeep down the exact same path that we took, and you know you, you can't get any closer than that no. in terms of reenacting. I think it's the first time we've actually done that kind of. Um, I mean, when we did US Rangers, we did folly routes in the past many years ago, um, but you're right, a lot of a lot you can't get to point well. Years ago, you used to have more access to Point the Hawk than you have now. We used to get right doing it at the front. It wasn't, it wasn't a tourist um, orientated place, but again, as it's gone on and on and on, you literally, you're, because it's literally something that's fallen away, um, they've cordoned a lot of it off for safety reasons and mm-hmm. viewing platforms on. But unlike um, Arnhem and used to be, I mean, all right, there's. this. There's certain things that have changed, but you still get there. You can, you can everything that you need to to see is still there to a degree. You know what I mean? And in some in some shape, whether it's a Hartenstein, whether it's a White House, you know, um, um, or the Tafelberg or places like that, they're ultimately, you know, very similar to what they were like during the war. Mm-hmm. 
I completely agree. And obviously, we'll come on to the John Frost Bridge area, you know, shortly. But I agree. I mean, it used to be Guinness, you know, as a whole, to a degree. Obviously, as you mentioned, that the White House has been redeveloped. The Tafelberg, to a degree, also has. Um, but for the most part, the locations of which some of the damage on some of these buildings, uh, the internal layouts of them are exactly the same. And it, it, it's very rare that you can, like we said, I mean, there's places that remain untouched, right? In, in Europe, of course there is, but there are, there are very little places that remain untouched with so much detail about them that I'm aware of anyway. Um, and like we say, used to speak as a whole, I mean, we stopped at a couple of streets around there and you stop and there's, there's um, I think, is it called Traces of War? I think the signs are around Arnhem and there's pictures of stugs and tanks and whatnot. Uh, around the streets and you you know you stop and you're like oh hang on a second that was right there you know where we're stood right now some of the people that witnessed some of these things as children are still living in those houses it's it's just absolutely incredible and you know, obviously we, we drove down from Johanna Hove and um and uh and from the White House down to the uh I guess the the perimeter uh which I, when you talk about the perimeter I think a lot of people talk about where the concert hall is and where the church is um and where the white ribbon mile is and that that's where we went down next you know it was, i was really personally excited to get down there to the concert hall to see the display that um what apartment living history group had, had put on there um so obviously we drove down there and had a little park up and first of all i mean the concert hall uh, obviously saw some, some action i think it was the headquarters of the royal artillery um i believe during those days um and the guys put on an incredible display uh, of a field hospital in there uh, and it was wonderful to catch up with some of the guys um we're actually going to have a bit of a sequel to this episode speaking to some of the guys from war department living history group to chat about their display and their plans for the next couple of years um but what what a display that was i mean outside there was a number of airborne jeeps guys in kit um you know they were running in and out in and out with stretchers there was bits of broken brick outside uh, and i don't want to ruin it too much because i'm going to talk about the guys obviously next week but you know, for the for the most part, Dale, and you know, I'm ho- hopefully the guys won't mind me saying this, but other than one or two, you know, little bits and bobs of improvements, you know, I have to have to take my hat off to them, and, and I think one of the best displays I've probably ever seen in reenacting. I think um, what um, made me feel particularly cheery was the fact that a lot of these are young guys. I mean, literally, and I, I couldn't believe the reception we got when we bought. I mean, they were so friendly to us. Um, I mean, I, I think I just walked in the door and like Flores uh, was like, uh, "All right, Dion." I'm like, oh, oh, "Right," and then obviously all the guys, all the guys that'll be on this next week, um, uh, just amazingly friendly guys. Um, you know, and what a fantastic job! They were, they were like clockwork. You know, right? Oh, this is time for this scenario. Back and forward with, with stretchers, and you know, there was priests there, and there was all sorts of stuff going on, and. Um, I've got to take my heart off to them. Like, you know, they, they would, a lot of people could learn a lot of lessons for these young lads, like, um, you know, um, and as I say, Nick was there, obviously, you'll both be talk, chatting to him next week, I'd imagine, or Swoover's yeah. one of the other lads. Uh, but literally, great bunch of guys. That's one of the things that made the week for uh, the trip for me, actually, was meeting Come these um, guys um, and uh, patting the back to them. You know? Yeah, completely agree. Um, you know, it was like you say, it was great to catch up with some of the guys, but the level of detail in the concert hall that they put on, you know, there was some excellent sounds that were going on, um, you know, of, of, of I guess distant gunfire and artillery and whatnot, which would have been going on all around. Um, but you know, like you say, that the commitment to, you know, making sure that every ten or fifteen minutes they were taking turns, stretches, splints, um, the level of medical kit around, um, you know, everybody was involved in some way or doing something. Um, and I have to say that I I 
I, I don't think a British group would have the same level of all-round level of commitment to a display. I think sometimes in Britain we're guilty of putting on a display in terms of the kit and the stuff around it, but we we don't commit to the re- sort of immersive side of it. And as you mentioned, the the average age and demographic of, of, of that group is is fantastic. They're all young guys, and you know. And I I said to yourself last night, Dale, and I, and I hope that you weren't too offended by it. But you know, I said there's a real need for Britain and especially in our group in particular to you know, to bring in a new breed of, of, of guys and girls, really, because, you know, time waits for no man. And, and ultimately, as as groups age and we become older, ultimately our quality lessens. Um, and to keep those standards up, you, you need the average age of the group to be, you know, hopefully closer to what those guys would have been. And, and, and looking at those guys in the, in the good kit that they had in that display, you know, I, I would probably say it's one of the truest reflections of living history that I think I've ever seen. Uh, I think the I think the problem we've got, like as you, you already mentioned, is that you know we must have at least I don't know four or five guys that are on borrowed time to say the least, and that includes myself. You know, and as much as it would sadden me to just say, look, well, you know, that hand, you know, hang up the berry and just do something else or whatever it is, um, uh, then it's it's incredibly sad to think about it. But you know, you're when you're going about accuracy all the time, and you're trying. You know, try to tell people, oh, you want to be accurate, you want to be accurate, and then you just like kick that in the the nutsack by turning up, you know, grey-headed and old, and try to portray someone who's in their thirties or whatever it is. It just looks inaccurate, um, you know. So you, we definitely need more young blood coming in. Um, it's not cheap. Because the problem is we, I think our problem is we can be too fussy. But then again, you know, standards are standards. You know, you've got to have a certain level of... Because we just didn't accept soldiery fortune battle dress. We just when not accept junk. You know, people wearing kit, that's no right. So you end up limiting your market for recruits, cause especially young guys didn't have, a lot of them didn't have the money. And if another group said, oh, I didn't worry about that, mate. Look, you can... Soldiery fortune stuff's fine. Oh, you can be... Oh, reproduction, perfect. It's just... It's difficult for us to compete um, with that. But we have attracted some pretty decent people like you know i mean austin's nice spring chicken but austin's got an amazing collection he's obviously got another 10 years at least on me but um he can do the hobby but as i say literally you can still attract people that are not that young but can add so much um to the overall but you're right we need to get some um some uh, more young blood so if you're out there folks and you're young and you're keen get your arses to join Norm- join normandy 44 <laughs> Absolutely. So, uh, so yeah, great, great display from the guys down there, and we're going to be chatting to uh, to some of the guys from Water Department Living History Group about that display. Uh, hopefully, next week as well. Um, and around that area, I mean, it, it's it, it's fair to say that that is, I I think, probably one of the most poignant areas of, of Oostepeak and, and Arnhem, um, and and probably the area that I would like to spend a bit more time in going forward because I think that's where some of the real stories of heroism of, of you know. Uh, well, it's just it's just incredible you know those final days really i think you know that when it's sort of the tail end of it we're so used to in in britain having all these moments of success and we did this and we did that and and you know there's some real real sad stories around there and, and some of them which which really touched me sort of personally as well um so from there obviously we went down to to the church where um it was just incredible to see and, and imagine what's going on down there and you've got the white river mile which is the uh, the route which I guess they took to retreat down to the river uh, ahead of Operation Pegasus, and I'm, I'm getting 
goosebumps just just thinking about being down that area and well, walking look, look down. Look at the damage that's still evident to the old um, Ustabik church. You know, you can remember we were looking at looking at the walls, bullet holes literally everywhere. Um, you know, and the thing is, I know it was pretty badly damaged, and they've, they've done quite a lot of extensive work where they had to, but they haven't touched anything they didn't have to. So, you know, all the bullet holes are still there, you know, um, all the important stuff that should have been left has been left, mm-hmm. um, which was good. And that walk, that white ribbon mile down to the uh, the water, um, it's interesting to walk that as well because it's it's not how I'd envisaged it, to be honest with you. But although obviously things things have probably changed um, uh, in the landscape since then, um, because, you know, obviously there was, there was no trees that I could see we were to go through, but in reality there would be trees there. There was um, a lot to be... The other thing as well, we were doing it and it was raining, but it was it was peeing with rain on the night when they were evacuating as well. So didn't make it feel totally un, um, uh, unrealistic just walking that in the rain. Um, yeah. So you kind of get a sense. What, what, what did surprise me was how close the other side seemed to be. The shore, it's, I was like, couldn't get my head around how they couldn't have got, done something or, I mean, obviously logistics are, 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 are getting shot and things like that for the heights, but it just didn't seem that far a distance, did it? It, it didn't, yeah, so close but so far. And I think that's that's one of the the real sort of nail-biting, frustrating elements, I think, of the of the entire thing is is that, you know, like you say, it, it sort of felt like uh, just the, the moments where you think, this could have worked, but I don't know. Ultimately, I think for me, I, I just, I just again felt like the whole thing was was sort of doomed. I mean, I know what you say about the river, but it was also just, you know, it's so fast flowing. It's it's a major tributary of the main Rhine. It just, I don't know. Looking at it, I, I just looked at it and thought, how did some of the guys? I mean, obviously, some of the guys swam across it. I thought, how did yeah, they even manage right. that? The especially, I mean, in the dark. The um, although some I believe were completely stark naked, the probably was going, you know, taking no chance of getting weighed doing in that river, like. Um, mm-hmm. You know, but fair fair play to the Canadians and the um, the engineers for getting them uh, getting them out. To be fair, yeah, yeah, completely. So I mean, that that was a fantastic day. Really spending some time down the perimeter and somewhere where I'd like to spend a lot of time um, in the, in the future as well. Um, now the next day for us was 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 the Sunday, um, which I guess is is, is pretty much like Remembrance Day um, over there, really. Um, so you know we had some some wreaths to lay um, on behalf of the King's Own Scottish Borderers Museum up in Berwick, um, and a couple of personal tributes to make as well. And 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 we we felt that it was it was it was right to do that in our own time uh, rather than during the ceremony. Um, you know we're, we're quite conscious of our own efforts and uh, decisions as well. And we decided to to join the guys at War Department Living History Group up at Westerburg, uh, up the heights up there, um, the site of, of some of the faces fighting really throughout the whole battle between uh, with the Dorsets and the Borders up there. Um, and they had a, a fantastic ceremony up there, which again, I would say would put a lot of British groups to shame. It was very poignant. Um, they do that every year and it's a nice ending to, to their weekend. So it was great to go up there and, and spend some time um, with those guys. It was nice to be invited to be fair, wasn't it? The um, mm-hmm. And the Sunday was a bit of a, a strange one because as much as we, we yes, we, we had to lay the reefs um, uh, on behalf of uh, the Kings and Scottish Borders Museum, it, it was trying to do it in such a respectful way that, you know, we, we obviously we laid the reefs, we didn't salute because we're no soldiers. We did it when literally when everyone had gone. So 
empty cemetery, um, when you can see with the photographs, there's just nobody there. But that's that was the right thing for us to do. You know, it's not about anything to do with us or what we, you know, what we particularly represent. And to be honest with you, if I remember correctly, after the um, uh, doing the service up at the Heights, literally we just went back to the hotel and that was it. I mean, literally, we, we didn't want to go to the schooner. We didn't want to mix with people who, I mean, not, not that we didn't want to mix with veterans, but there's a lot of like um, current serving paras and guys for the 50s and 60s and 70s. And it, that's all about them. I mean, that's their time. I mean, they're there, you know, to, to obviously show their own respects and talk to their, their fellow, you know, airborne guys. It's not for us to, you know, usurp and, and go in there and, you know, try and take any kind of light, shine or whatever off of anybody. So I think we did the right thing. We just went back to the hotel and then um, waited for something to eat. But literally, Sunday, that was that was all we could do, really, on the Sunday. Um, I'd have felt uncomfortable doing anything else, to be honest with you, given the, the, uh, the commemorations and stuff that was going on. Mm, no, I completely agree. Um, yeah, it, it was about it was about the guys in, in that cemetery at that point on that day. You know, you can it, there's days and times for exploring it, and it felt right to to explore those things. And you know, something which was quite personal for myself was uh, was the story of the Grown Out Twins, which um, I'm not sure if it, a lot of our listeners will be familiar. I'm, I'm I'm certain anybody who's been to Arnhem will be familiar with that with that tale. Um, so you know, the Grown Out Twins were were a couple of identical twins, and I'm personally an identical twin as well. So I understand that that bond and relationship that um, identical twins have with each other, it's very difficult to describe. It's, it's sort of beyond friendship. It's beyond what a, a regular, you know, brother and sister can have, I, I imagine, because with the same DNA, we know what each other are thinking. I'm, you know, without going too much into that, um, the, the grown up twins have a really heartbreaking tale. Um, I think it was actually the first day an operation at the, uh, the lion route, the Southern route, uh, heading down towards the bridge. And, uh, and, and sadly, um, both of those guys lost their lives within, well, at the same time, pretty much within a couple of minutes of each other, uh, down at one of the uh, the viaducts on the railway, uh, just on the southern route down there. And uh, one of the guys was shot, and uh, they, this twin brother obviously went into to try and save him, and uh, and sadly lost his life as well. Which is, you know, it's just ooh, really, really heartbreaking. And something that when I read about it, really, really, really stuck with me. And I just thought, I've, you know, I've, sometimes you you latch on to individuals, or you find your own stories that you really connect with that are your drivers for going back and for me i think above driving over the bridge above driving to the culvert that was as soon as i read that story that was the driver for me to get over there and to you know from one set of twins to another was to to sort of really really sort of pay those respects out there and it was it was overwhelming to be honest with you to go and you know we laid a wreath obviously for on behalf of me and my brother for those guys down there and it was it was pretty overwhelming and, and emotional you know ricky was in tears bless him um yeah, just you know, it's I'm sat there picturing if if it was me, and my brother have both been involved in living history for some time, and I just couldn't imagine that the pain that either of those went through. You know, um, it's just an absolute tragic story, and if anybody does go over there, you, you have to visit the site of the graves and look at the pictures of those two guys in there because it's just absolutely tragic, and that's what really really brings the whole sort of battle to life for me is, is moments like that where you can you know relate it and pinpoint it to your own life. I think. Um... Slightly digressing, but no, really that that much. But I sometimes get annoyed when I see people putting together a poor impression of these guys. Um, and to be honest with you, it, it really angers me when I see somebody making absolutely no effort whatsoever 
um, and wearing, let's face it, a shit uniform. You know, I mean, I know with a bit of a thought with some somebody a few weeks ago about this guy who you know, had a beard, long hair, just way overweight, just nothing, no detail whatsoever, no accuracy whatsoever. But wearing the insignia, he, he, some of these people who are lying in these graveyards, and it just angered me, to be honest with you. And probably unreasonably angry in the fact that I had just been there walking around looking at 19-year-olds lying in, you know, in the earth, and I'm thinking, you know, and then you see some guy getting his jollies, um, you know, just dressy uppy, you know, and and to be honest with you, again, I lost my shit because literally I just didn't like that kind of stuff. I mean, I'm, if, if if for some reason somebody can't do something accurately, well, fine, if there's some reason for it, but to make no effort whatsoever and just swan about like one of these young lads, it just, as I say, it just boils my piss. Yeah, yeah. excuse my French. There's a mix of uh, a standard of rain actors over there. I mean, I think on the whole, I would say it's, it's stronger than that you'll find in in Normandy. But again, there's a bit of a mix, and you still get the the you know the basic rain actors over there as well, which 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 well, spoil well, it. To a be little fair, bit it wasn't it wasn't a guy fit over there. It was a guy who was in the states uh, representing one of the units. I've got to say, I was. I mean, there's a couple of bad rain actors across there, like we. Um, uh, I mean, remember the two guys were coming back for the schoonard. They had the young lad had the kilt on, and um, he had like school socks on and stuff like that. And I glen Gary, and I thought, oh, right, but I did. I'm no, you know, I'm not going to let it bother me that much. But I just sometimes I just shake my head and think, you know, especially if you're if you're from there, you know, if you're yeah, in that neck of the woods, thing, isn't it? It's a strange thing, isn't it? I mean, I think ultimately it's it's never going to change, is it? Really? So I think for me, it's it's about probably spending our time praising the guys like War Department. Um, yeah, oh, definitely. And yeah, and, and concentrating on the good things and, and almost not wasting our energy too much on on uh, on what's not there as well. You know, there's, I think there's a lot going on in the hobby the last uh, eight to twelve weeks, really, in terms of. Um, standards and uh, appraisals of standards across the internet um and, and a lot of you know things have gone on really in the hobby and i think some things have gone too far in my opinion and yeah i think uh it's about keeping it productive and, and whatnot and moving on but speaking of moving on so that was that was our uh, third day the sunday uh, and by this point we sort of we've fully fully got our bearings we, we know where everything is um <laughs> So it's about time now, really, to, to you know we've we've done the perimeter route sort of thing. Uh, we wanted to really get into the action, the thick of it, which is obviously the uh, the route down into to Arnhem. So we followed the um, the line route down, and the, the first stop on this on this route for us down there um, was the the hotel Tafelberg. So um, in the the hotel that we were staying, uh, one of our party bumped into a, a nice chap in the lobby uh, who happened to let us know that he lived in uh, the hotel Tafelberg, which is now an apartment block um now if, for anyone again that doesn't know what this was it was uh it was a field hospital uh, again um just actually south of um the schoonard again another field hospital i think it's about 300 meters roughly separating those wasn't, two wasn't buildings it when it was uh, before it was the field hospital wasn't it modal's um headquarters yeah that's where he was sconed pretty quick quickly when the um he did when he he straight out there, yeah, because obviously he thought they were coming to, to capture him. So it ended up being a, a field hospital, which you know, if you've ever watched "There's the Glory," you'll see a lot of footage um, filmed inside or, or a building which represents the inside of uh, of that building. Um, 
so some monumental history there um and you know what what's what's astounding is between those two buildings which is about 300 meters roughly give or take um it was it was taking two hours for some of these poor women civilians to try and get from one field hospital to the other with supplies and when you're actually there and you you can walk that route in about two minutes to, to say it would take you two hours to get between those two uh, buildings just shows you the, the the ferocity of the fighting um the carnage the the lack of coordination you know because i think a lot of people, traditional battles you've got their lines you've got your lines it wasn't like that you know and used to be there was the little tiny pockets of, of resistance and you know battle groups camp groupers that sort of stuff um you know so everywhere around you there could have been an enemy and i think that really really showed it but anyway again i'm digressing but uh so we, we met this chap and he told us to come down and we were really really incredibly lucky to to get in there um and to stand in in the spot of that that field hospital um as well which, which a lot of people haven't got the privilege to do and uh, there's obviously some some nice uh bits and bobs in there but you know when you've watched theirs is the glory and then you go back and uh you stand in that hallway you know it was a real privilege to stand in there knowing that you know so many men sadly lost their lives in there and, and, were, and were cared for um by so many incredible uh civilians as well yeah it was um we we're very fortunate that guy was um very accommodating to be fair um i think he's he runs some kind of there's an association um of the owners and i think he's sort of he, he, he i don't know if he's the president or whatever the guy in charge like but um uh, we're just so lucky to get get in there i mean that's a rare opportunity to be in there and take some photographs Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, completely. So that, that was our Monday was our start of our civilian. <laughs> we're dressed in civvies, obviously, exploring day. Um, but we'll go into further details of where we've been. But it was a busy day, like wasn't it? It was, you know, and I think the, the beauty of Arnhem as well, really, is that you know, if if you can't go for three, four, five days, you, you can because it was such a small area, and I think that's again a bit of a representation of, of of how small in in a way that the area is. You can get it all in one day if you want. So, you know, we were straight on down to the Hartenstein, which is a stone store from from there, really. Um, and the Hartenstein is, you know, it was was the airborne uh, headquarters where Urquhart was. Um, well, when he wasn't off on his uh, jollies, which we'll come to in a little bit. Um, but, you know, very much in a way to a degree as it was then, obviously very, very different with the extension and the, the basement and whatnot. But in some areas, you know, we took some now and then pictures, um, which are, you know, very, very, very similar. You can you can see the lay of the land. You can watch a bridge too far. You can look back and you can see exactly sort of how it was. Uh, same with, with theirs as the glory. But I, I, a lot of people whinge about this museum. Um, obviously, it's changed its curation a lot over the years. But I thought they had it bang on. I thought it was excellent. Um, some really, really good exhibits in there. Good, a good number of uniforms versus weapons versus personal stories, maps, war diaries. Um, you know, all sorts of stuff in there. But I think the, the highlight for me was uh, was the door from the uh, the church um, down uh, as just as the perimeter was forming and the evacuation was 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 about to begin as well. So you know, I think that's a, a really, really strong museum for me. Oh, I've got, I've got to say, I was pretty impressed with that museum. Um, apart from the uh, Dutch students. <laughs> Running around with bits of paper, ticking things off, and oh, I've got you know, like typical way uh, school kids have got these papers given to them to try and see if you can find the the piet, see if you can find the, you know what I mean? But the um, but no, I was I thought it was a great museum, um, very interactive. Doing the stair was great with the dioramas and um, the lights and the smoke and just really, really um, even in the glider, you know, the simulated glider landing. I thought that was great as well. Like so. 
well worth the entry fee, and I would definitely go back there. Like, um, really enjoyed it. Yeah, it was very, very good. And then uh, from there, there's a swift movement down then to uh, St. Elizabeth Hospital uh, mm-hmm. as well, where there was uh, obviously plenty of action going on. That was an actual hospital during there. And there's incredible photographs uh, from the battle uh, on that main road down into Arnhem as well that you can look at, um, you know, Jeeps burnt out, vehicles burnt out. Uh, so so many famous images outside that that hospital as well. And, and obviously just behind the hospital is, uh, is the site where um, uh, Urquhart was, where he hid um and uh where one of his <laughs> colleagues was shot um and it's it, again incredible those those places are still there you can pinpoint the exact spots you can see uh where they ran where they hid um you know it's just it was phenomenal being able to stand there and, and you, you could literally walk the real we, we snuck around the back of the houses which the people probably didn't enjoy just to sort of see where they went but again another really really nice bucket list uh, thing to tick off i think i liked when you had the um narration on your phone all the things that were happening regarding, you know, um, the, you know, and going in the house and then trying to sneak around the back. And when you, when it was actually narrated like that, it just felt so much more. Um, well, I couldn't imagine listening to that without being there. Was, obviously, you're hearing the actual narration. You're thinking, Christ, that's that who's there. And then they went around there, and then they, they go up to the alleyway there, and then they cut up there, and you get the bit in the following where the guy is going like that. You know, the, the families to get them to go up into the um, the loft. To actually see that house and to see where they must have went through and then they must have got the, the nod to go in the back door to then go up to the loft. It's just an amazing um, experience that. Yeah, the, the good thing and the bad thing, I think, as well, just to, to nod to some of the, the films really is, you know, you spent your whole life watching A Bridge Too Far and you go over there and a lot of it suddenly just becomes completely redundant because obviously it was filmed in locations that looked similar to, um, you know, and you've got this concept in your head. And I think it's the same with things like Band of Brothers, you know, people forget that some of these things were filmed just completely not in the same places and you end up having the film picture in your head. And I think that's why it's good to go there and actually get the real picture in your head of what actually happened and you know, because when you're reading books, sometimes you, you do nod to things like A Bridge Too Far or, or There's Is The Glory, which, you know, was filmed in similar spots in some cases as well. So it was really good to go there and, and provide that that separation as well. So so down from there again on this on this very quick whistle stop to uh, um, down to John Fast Bridge um, and, you know, looked at where a lot of the positions were for 2nd Battalion, not the houses. I mean, obviously a lot of that is no longer there. It's new buildings now because... Uh, the RAF very kindly after um, I think it was in October came and, and pretty much squashed the bridge uh, and all of the the numerous buildings around that as well. So you know the street layout is very similar, but the buildings not really there. But you can still climb on the bridge and you can walk up and you can get a really good feeling exactly for where those builders buildings were. So you know the famous scene in Bridge Too Far with bring up the pier and all that sort of stuff. You can very much get a feeling um, as for what that was like. But again, because it's not the bridge in a bridge too far. Don't get your hopes up because it's a different bridge. Um, but you you know, you get a better feeling from it there. You realize the size of the bridge. Mm-hmm. Absolutely huge. You know, it feels like an impossible task in itself when you compare it to something like Pegasus Bridge, you know, which I know is a much smaller objective and uh, a lot easier to take, but still the size of it was huge. Oh uh, yeah, that was a good that was a good day. Um and then obviously the devil's house. We walked in from the bridge to the devil's house, which is the bit in the Fulham where um Anthony Hopkins is it? Um mm-hmm. Is uh, getting a barry chocolate from uh, Maximilian Shell, I think the actor, mm-hmm. um, and it had just been dropped that morning. But that that obviously, when you see the building that, that that's in relation to that, that you know, I would never have thought the building would look like that. Um, it's quite a remarkable and strange looking building, um, with all these sort mm-hmm. of devils on the side and the columns, and 
um, to then go in the church, you go right up the top to get a, you know, an amazing view um, over the bridge, and it, you can really get to grasp with the actual, you know, the, the whole um, uh, layout of the battle from up there. Like it was. Uh, <laughs> You can, and this, this is the uniqueness of it all because you can, and I would thoroughly recommend it. I mean, it's it's not something that we've done yet, but the next time we go, I would like to walk from the landing zone um, and I'd like to follow the line route down to the bridge, to the Eusebius Church and the Devil's House and, um, you know, and whatnot. And because you, you, you can literally follow in their footsteps, you know, step by step by step down to the bridge, you know, obviously they're there for a couple of few days and, um and there's some famous photos in the Eusebius church uh, and the devil's house and outside of that as well and they get all the bullet holes in the walls and it's just it's just again remarkable you can literally walk in their steps minute by minute by minute all around there and get a real real feel for it and i totally correlate and understand why, why james holland said you must walk the ground because as soon as you physically walk it and go back and read a book it's like reading a book in HD, you know, or like, mm. you know, your IQ's just jumped up by a thousand because all of a sudden it's so much more relatable and everything that they say, you, you just understand 10 times more. Yeah, oh, no, definitely. And I, to be fair, I'm, all, I'm already looking forward to my next trip. Um, there's so many things that you could you could do and visit. And I mean, there's still things we didn't get a chance to see. We were there five days, um, you know, so maybe have a more... Um, Maybe of a, a tick boxy things that we, we missed, um, but I would certainly be up for the walk um, from the landing zones. You know, yeah, it'd be, um, really, it'd be really good to do that. I think, well, uh, especially you know, not vehicles. Like, you know, I don't think you'll appreciate it. And obviously, we're never going to be we're no under fire, but even the physical nature of walking from A to B, um, you would get an idea of what was involved. But for these guys, obviously, it's like running across roads and you know, hiding behind things and jumping over this and trying to dive behind that. It's, it's, it's a lot harder, but even just walking the distance might give you some kind of better um, understanding. Mm-hmm. And speaking of distance, so when we when we done the the, the centre of Arnhem again, which is a, a completely different tale in a way to, to everything it used to be, can almost a complete separate part of the battle, but again, um, still completely just as worth seeing as, as used to back in the perimeter. And for me, it's almost split up. You've got the landing zones, you've got... Um, I guess the main part of Oosterbeck, um, you've got the perimeter area south of that. You, you've then got, you know, Arnhem, uh, like around the church area. You've then got the bridge area. Um, so there's all these little pockets of areas which are, which are really, really great to see. But we went back up to, uh, to Y, and, and, and in particular because after the King's Own Scottish Board was landed at LZS, I think it was, um, and went straight up. Um, so obviously C Company went off to the Plank and One Bus uh, and A and B went up to... Um, uh, up to DZ, uh, I think DZ they went to the the, the pub, um, Plank and Wambus. I, yeah, <laughs> they went to, um, basically head towards the Edarnum Road mm-hmm. and towards Arnhem slightly. Um, B Company were obviously they bent up to the left, which was up to where we were, the positions we were looking and at towards the barracks, um, yeah. towards yeah. the barracks. Sorry. Um, mm-hmm. And getting up there, I mean, obviously, there's a lot of there's a lot of commentary out there by by people that that were there that are very very critical of, of the King's Own Scottish Borders. What was apparent is when you, I mean, we walked, at, I would probably say around half of that landing zone. Um, how you expected to to protect those landing zones with the strength of a thousand men is is beyond me because you know we went into the woods where uh, I think it was B Company were. 
and we had a good look around there for probably 30 minutes. But the stretch of, of woodland that they had to protect took us around an hour, maybe more, to walk around that area. So if that takes you an hour and you've got a thousand men split between those companies, you know, let's just say that you end up with potentially 250, 300 people in your company. Uh, obviously, taking into consideration things at the headquarters where there would be a lack of men not actively, you know, defending those zones and whatnot. It, it just felt impossible that how, you know, especially when there was a barracks just, just up there as well. Um, and obviously there's a lot of spots that they couldn't protect, like the open road, really. Um, it just felt absolutely impossible um, realistically up there. But again, you know, I think for me, some of those extra details about not just going to the bridge and seeing the bridge, you know, going to some of these spots in the landing zones and reading about specific companies and reading stories about what those men went through and then walking through the woods yourself and literally again, walking their footsteps. And, you know, we came across a few, um, I guess areas in the ground, which could have potentially been foxholes, not sure if they were or not, but you know, could well have been really uh, depressions in the ground that looked very, very similar to, to slit trenches. Um, but that was it eye opening again, really. And that gave you another sense of the scale of everything that went on. And no wonder they had a really tough time in defending that landing zone. I mean, I think um, headquarters and D company were quite close to, I think D company was almost held in reserve. And obviously you had C company below B company. But if you think about, there's only maybe a couple of hundred men, right? That, I mean, that that massive area, the, the, the A, A company, when the problem was, between, the problem that they had was defending the north part of the landing zone. And ultimately, that's between A company and B company, but that is absolutely massive. You know, along that um, E Darnham Road, I mean, we obviously drove past that, and you're sitting thinking, how the hell are you supposed to defend this with a couple of hundred men, especially when you've got... B Company had um, had to face the Germans from the, the Eid Barracks. I believe there was five or 600 Germans there. So you're sitting there thinking, all right, um, three times as many enemy. Um, lucky enough for them initially, the Germans thought they were going to attack Eid. So they didn't attack them right away. But to be quite disparaging, because obviously if you've got your, your men facing the barracks, you can't then defend the north if you're defending the west. And the problem is with A Company, they were trying to, move towards the east and slightly defend the north where there was a massive gap um, and it wasn't really wasn't it their fault, that was the plan, whoever planned it um, and then gave the plans to them was a glaring mistake there's no way they could possibly defend that accurately uh, sorry, effectively um, for a prolonged period of time and I think that goes to show with you know the fact that they had 90% losses and I think Anybody, well, you can see from the first air landing brigade, anybody who had the jobs of protecting the landing zone suffered horrific losses. And that's just a bit of a testament to the fact that it was pretty much just an impossible job. You know, the board has similar, suffered a similar fate. Um, you know, South Staffs, but anybody who was, was there protecting those landing zones just had an absolute nightmare. But, you know, again, for anybody, you know, potentially listening who's interested in, in Arnhem, even in the slightest, get get over there, you know, because again, for me, it's if, if you're interested in the battle at all, the, the personal side of things, the tactical side of things, it's just... I think there's way more than Normandy to see over there and you can do it all in a couple of days. It's it's very cheap to get over there. You can fly, you can get the ferry. Um, there's so much to see, but just, you know, I hope everyone's enjoyed listening to uh, to our very quick whistle-stop tour of, of Arnhem there as well. But, but Dale, if there, was, if there was two or three moments or things that you saw over there that would uh, perhaps be your best bits of the trip, what might they be? Oh, that's a difficult one because there's so many gems um, to be fair, I mean, if I had to pick out a uh, couple of 
not so much things to see, but as I've already mentioned, that the, the, the Dutch are a fantastic people. Friendly, just, just, I mean, just really, really nice, you know, friendly people. So uh, that was a, not a surprise so much, but it was a, I was pleasantly, um, you know, um, taken aback by how kind um, they were. Um, going to uh, Oostepeek itself was a surprise. What a beautiful place Oostepeek is. Um, you know, I mean, all right, you've got the Schoonard, you've got the Tafelberg, you've got the White Hoosh, you've got the Hartenstein, you've got loads of things. Um, the landing zones, I always wanted to see them, so that to me was probably one of my um, um, highlights for me. But just the, the, the whole place at Oostepeek, just way nicer than I imagined. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was a beautiful place. Um, I, th- I think for me, it was, as you say, um, just getting to meet some of the guys um, over there that I've been speaking to for a, a few years as a result of the podcast. Um, and what it's made me want to do in in large part is to do more reenacting uh, in the Netherlands and, and in Europe as well. Um, I honestly feel like outside of certain elements of reenacting that the the scene is potentially stronger over there or just that I would like to do more with people over there who are of a very very similar ilk um I think we've got a lot more in common or some of the 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 more established reenactors um in the UK scene have got more in common with some of those in Europe and I think there needs to be a lot more sort of hopefully uh cross pond sort of collaboration really between those groups and I would love to see some of the guys over in the UK and vice versa uh that would be really really good but I think for me, it was it was the, the fact that we we're able to trace in people's footsteps um, the best we could in terms of you know marking vehicles that was as close as we could, having the right kit on, um, driving down Johannahove, the same stretch that somebody from my hometown did, which I've got a book of, was you know something that I'll I'll, I'll never forget. And you know, I, I I chase these moments in the hobby where you are as close as you possibly can be, as you mentioned, without being under fire or in those sort of real terrible circumstances, you know, and it's not too dissimilar to, to you know, being in a taxi running a Lancaster or whatnot, you know. So those moments driving down Johannahove underneath the culvert uh, were, were especially poignant for me. Um, and the and cheap, a, and cheap be, pictures, Richie, with the last... Oh, uh, yeah, being able to get those, you know. <laughs> I'm going to get some cracking ones outside the Hartenstein at the back of there. <laughs> We, we must say, um, we, yeah, we did get some great pictures outside the heart and side. I'm not sure you were allowed, but we just sort of drove up and, and no one really told us off anyway. Uh, yeah, of course, we had permission to do that. But no, that was a that was a particular highlight because, you know, for me, I like my pictures. I like I like recreating um, things. You know, I was, I was a photographer by trade for a long time and I like recreating those moments. And, you know, when you spent many years putting a vehicle together and I mentioned earlier the, the, the financial and uh, emotional stress really of getting that vehicle over there when it's the jeep has been fine for three years and and the week before you get over there all hell breaks loose um you know those moments make it worth it um and without those moments you sometimes question why you do the hobby um and the money the time the stress uh the the love the tears all that sort of stuff that goes into it is worth it when you have those moments because those pictures aren't going anywhere they're there forever um you know and and when we're both gray and old and we've hung up our barriers well i'm there um, now those moments (laughs) <laughs> you're nearly there but, but those memories will, will live on right you know and and that's now our our duty to degree is is to continue to bring those things to life the images will be there to to help continue to do that but hopefully inspire the next generation through to to join us really um in in you know making sure that those activities are continuing for another 50 60 70 years yeah it was good to be honest with you the um it was good to meet some of the podcast 
uh, viewers. You know, it's a whole different... Um, years ago, you used to meet people just because, obviously, you see them at events, but the podcasts actually um, opened up a lot of doors, and I didn't really realise how much until we you arrived at the um, concert hall. <laughs> Everybody kept on coming over, all your, all your viewers that you've chatted to in the past, and I thought, wow, what a great thing, what a great networking um, tool podcasts are. You know, and I was thinking, oh, yeah. there's a lot of guys like Lance and that in the state, a lot of guys that we didn't get a chance to really see that it would be great to get them to go with us to Holland. You know, I mean, it's a lot harder for them than it is for us, but there is some outstanding people there that you do meet. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there is, there is, and I'm really looking forward to getting a couple of the guys on uh, next week as well to hear their sort of side of, of Arnhem from people that have been going for many years to talk about their display um, as well. And I guess, you know, all the things that they would like to do within the UK that we that we probably take for for granted, you know, we talked a lot about the airfields that we have access to over here and, and, and whatnot as well. But, you know, I just have to uh, pass on my apologies again to, to all of our listeners for, for the, the slight break that we've had. You know, sometimes these things happen. It's, it's difficult to keep things going. Um, this isn't, I mentioned before, it's not something that we're financially rewarded or paid for and we have to find the time to do it. But, you know, we're back on the straight and narrow now and really, really looking forward to, uh, to a lot of the episodes that we've got coming up. Um, we're going to be hearing from uh, a reenactor who's only really joined the, the hobby this season. I think it's really important to hear from beginners, young people in the hobby that we mentioned, people that are just starting out to, to understand their point of view on things, which is really important. Um, I've got a couple of events such as the night run. We've got the GI drive dance as well uh, in a few weeks time, which will be, uh, which will be awesome. Sadly missed out on, uh, on an event last night as well. Uh, an RFD, which would have been great, but there's tons, tons and tons coming up over the next few uh, weeks and months as well. And I'm always look on the lookout for guests out there to talk about uh, something that we might not know about as well. So if you have something out there, which you feel like you could offer, which could help out the, uh, the community, or you're just really, really passionate about an area of living history or reenacting, uh, or you're perhaps an event organizer, please do reach out. We'd love to have you on the podcast and keep this going uh, and certainly give me a helping hand uh, in continuing this for, for all of our listeners. So, Dale, thank you so much for, for joining me uh, this evening um, during your, your COVID um No problems, Rich. You're always here if you need me. Good man, good man. Well, thank you all for, for listening uh, to our uh, returning episode. Uh, hopefully we can reach episode 100 very, very soon. Uh, but in the meantime, uh, keep listening, keep watching, and we'll see you all again very, very soon. Catch you later.